How we doing, mates? Welcome back to The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Now, I could not wait to share this episode, whether you're a baseball fan or you're not a baseball fan. We all need some of this, what we're going to listen to in the next hour. I have Lauren Nicole Johnson. Now, she is the mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees, and not just the big leaguers. Yes, that's important, but even more important, she's dealing with some of these minor leaguers too. We're talking all the way from rookie ball all the way up. The guys who struggle through the minor leagues, it can be mentally exhausting just like it can be physically exhausting. And I got so much out of this conversation. I know you will too. And speaking of, you should follow Lauren on Instagram or Twitter at Lauren Nicole Johnson. She's a great follow. She posts some amazing stuff. Again, whether you're a professional athlete or not, hopefully you can get a lot out of this conversation. Now, before we do that, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Go to www.thetopstep.com. You can find wherever you listen to this podcast, you can find the link. Oh, and leave me a review. I know I say this every time now. Leave me a review. It helps the podcast, supports what we're doing. This is so much fun. This is like therapy for me, especially this session. I know you're going to get a lot out of this. So throw those headphones in, knock out that workout or that long drive across the country or up the coast, wherever you are, whether you're in Australia, the US, enjoy this episode as Lauren Nicole Johnson joins me on The Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big league. <laughs> He's a Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life. <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. All right, Lauren, welcome. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I can't wait. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've had um, on the show, I've had kind of uh, some, some big contrasts of personalities. And, and I'm talking about ex-players, ex-pitchers. Um, before we got on, we're talking about Daniel Bard, who, you know, the story, you know, that episode's already come out, but just his story of dealing with the yips and, you know, watching that, uh, and for those for those people who don't know what the yips is, basically you literally don't know where the ball's going. You're throwing there's like this little mental glitch, and you just literally don't know where the where the ball's going. All the way up to guys who just like who just have this feeling of yeah, I'm just going to throw the ball down the middle, and they're just going to swing and miss, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but just just on that, now you have I think one of the toughest jobs in all of baseball, right? You work with how, how would you how do you title your job with the Yankees? So I am the mental conditioning coordinator and I work with, I'm, I'm part of a team. So I'm a small piece to the puzzle. Um, there's six of us that on our mental conditioning team and, and my director works with the major league team every day, my associate director and myself and a couple others. We, we really take on the rest of the system um, and help develop them as they move up and hopefully uh, spend a long time in the major leagues. So yeah, so that's kind of my role, and I, I definitely don't think I have the hardest job. Um, I think that our players have the hardest jobs, but I, um, I can say that it's no matter every job comes with pluses and minuses, and I think just mine is so fulfilling. So I get to have a lot more pluses. Well, the reason I say that, Lauren, is because this is why and even more so now which is pretty amazing because i feel like now people are way more and you go back even 10 15 years even i started in 2001 back then it was taboo like you 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 just man up you know what i mean like if you're struggling mentally you just man up and go for it whether it's off the field or on the field now it feels like you know people are a lot more open about you know expressing themselves if they're struggling especially you know professional athletes but on the flip side you go on you know first of all the major league baseball is just the whole thing is all about analytics. Everyone's on paper. And that's why I think the human element, which I miss so much in today's game, really, even you know, from a, from a um, strategical standpoint and everything else, but that human element is just completely missed a lot of the times. That's why I'm saying it's such a tough gig because you just have completely different contrasting personalities in a locker room. Yes, we do. We definitely do. And I, and I have to agree with that. You know, I think that, um, the Yankees do an incredible job of mixing both the data and the analytics with the human element. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's why we have such a big team. I mean, it shows where their value lies. And so I think that it, we do a really good job of, mi of mixing the two. There's a place for data and there's also a place for humans. Yeah. And I think that when I, especially in our field, I, I love theory. Theory is great. It's the foundation. It's the science behind everything that we do, but not every person fits into a scientific study. Yeah. We don't have controls. It's not like that. So for me, theories are great, but not everyone fits into one. So we have to be more creative and more flexible with our strategies in terms of helping these players. Hey, this year, obviously 2020, minor league season gets shut down. So how, was, it, was this a busy year for you? I mean, obviously online, right? Did, did you say, I mean, right now you're, you're sightseeing at the Golden Gate Bridge. If you, <laughs> if, if you listen to this, Lauren's sitting up on the hill with this beautiful <laughs> background. It's yeah. 6 a.m. The, the, the yeah. sun's just rising. Sun rising. But did, were you at home most, pretty much all year this year besides spring training? Yep. Mid-spring training, we got shut oh, down. Man. We had some cases early on of coronavirus. So we got shut down immediately when that happened. And we had to quarantine actually in Tampa um, oh, no for, for a while before they would actually send us home. Did so, you, so you were on the Zoom, were you on Zooms with players throughout the season? It's all I've done. It's oh my God. tons of Zoom calls. Um, and I mean, it's, it's all Zoom. I'm on Zoom every single day, but thank God for Zoom. Because yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. As we're using call, it right now. Yeah, because yeah, the phone call was great. And, you know, that has worked very well. But at the same time, I'm being able to sit face to face with somebody and actually ask them, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And getting that, that response and being able to see that response, I think is, has been really powerful. Did you feel like this year, I mean, you've got, you know, hundreds of players basically who their whole way of life is just completely shut down. Spring training. I'm talking about the minor leagues, which a lot of people don't talk about. The fact that like, you've got all these guys that, you know, they play high school and they played college and boom, they get into professional baseball and here they are like, oh, just stay at home, hang with them. A lot of them obviously, you know, lose, lose, their, lose their job or get released, whatever. But did you, did you find yourself dealing with the off the field mental skills aspect of this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when it first got shut down, everyone's worlds were rocked. Yeah. And so I think when that first happens, the first thing is, you know, an appropriate response is some empathy and Hey, how are you doing? You know, checking in, how's the adjustment going home? You know, uh, how are you doing with the uncertainty? How are you doing? And, and we're really taking some, um, we're taking some inventory on how they're doing, you know, mentally, whether that's mental health wise or just in general. And, and then there is a turning point where we have to accept our reality. Right. And the reality is everybody, the situation we were put in is like playing a game of golf with 30 miles per hour wind and, and pouring down rain. Yeah. It sucks but everyone is in the same position right. and the person that's going to come out on top is the person that can handle your circumstances and that doesn't use your circumstances as an excuse and that can still improve despite them and so that i think is where our focus then had turned is all right look this sucks we all realize that what are we going to do about it how are we going to adapt to our circumstances and respond to our circumstances instead of um, using that as an excuse yeah, you know, you um, in college you had what like five concussions, right? Playing soccer. Yeah. Right. I've done my research, and you meant, you talked about the victim mentality back then, talking mm -hmm. about how you can look at this and oh well, I can't play soccer anymore. Basically, your coach said, look, if you want to remember your name, right, when you're in your forties, you have to you have to stop playing. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot too, and I think you know part of this is when you look around. The the one comforting thing for me because here I am. I mean, I'm. You know, I broadcast with, with the Mariners and I've got no games. I'm not making any money. I get paid for appearance. So I'm like sitting there going, what do I do? But it's so easy to slip into that victim mentality. Like, oh, I'm getting screwed. But the one little comforting thing, I guess, is that everyone's kind of in the same boat. But then it got to a point, I feel like, and, and I'm sure this is the same with minor league players. It got to a point where, oh, they got to get their job back. Um, this just opened up. Now, I'm the only one who's kind of screwed here because I can't, you know, I'm, I'm the victim here all of a sudden. So talk to me about that. So first of all, from a player's standpoint, is that, is that kind of, that's kind of the trend you took with them as if to say, look, make the most of this time. I mean, as cliche as that sounds and as simple as that sounds, but how do you pass that message on to kids who are like a 22 year old who's sitting at home, he can't play. He's like wondering if he's going to be there next year. 
Well, I think that there's, I say this all the time to our players that the big details are the obvious ones, but the small details are the important ones. Mm -hmm. The obvious ones are easy to take care of because there's an immediate reward or consequence. So let's say it's a big championship game, you know, it's playoffs, you know, we're really motivated in those times because those are the big moments, but the small moments are the important ones because they compound over time and their impact isn't seen right away. So if you don't go to the gym today, are you suddenly not going to be fit? No. Mm -hmm. If you eat unhealthy one meal, are you suddenly going to be unhealthy? No. But if you create a habit of that, Suddenly over time, that impact is, wow, I'm really out of shape. Wow, I'm really unhealthy. Right. And so when I look at that, it's easy to be like, oh, well, when's spring training going to start? That's a big detail. But if we're waiting for the big detail to show up, you're, gonna, you're going to be behind. And the people that are going to come out of this on top are the ones that didn't use this as an excuse. And that used, that fell into the discomfort of discipline. They were willing to sit in the discomfort of discipline, Mm -hmm. then the comfort of distraction. And there's a lot of freaking distraction right now, whether that's, I mean, the Yankees, we were one of the only people that didn't do instructs. Every other team did instructs. All of them are like, all my friends are going to instructs right now. I'm like, great. Well, you're not, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so I think that the difference between um, like an, an, an amateur player and a, and a player that is, you know, incredible at their craft is they don't sit in that victim mentality. They don't allow themselves to feel sorry for themselves for too long. Sure, the initial shock of it can suck, but at some point you got to get up and do something about it or you're going to be left behind because the best athletes, they don't use it as an excuse. Right. So how, how, do, you, how do you manufacture some of that energy? Like, yeah, I'll use an example and people listen to this, you know, they're not athletes, but they want to lose 20 pounds or whatever. How do you manufacture 6 a.m. freezing cold? I'm up here in Seattle right now where it's cold, rainy. What, what are some of the little tricks? You, you've got to, I mean, obviously, you've got to deal with players who are really talented and the organization's like, hey, you need to motivate this person. When you're not playing in the playoffs, that's easy, right? I, I totally get it. You're in the playoffs, boom. That just energy manufactures itself. But how do you, what are some of these little tricks that you use to get, make that first step out of bed, to get up and to, to do those little small things like you mentioned to make the big things happen? Well, I think motivation is total BS um, because it's never there when you need it, right? (laughs) It's like when your alarm goes off at 5 a.m., I'm not like, yes, I can't wait. Like, I'm I'm saying that. (laughs) And so it's never there when you need it. And so to me, motivation is like a power plant. A A power plant doesn't have energy, it generates it. And so we have to find ways to generate motivation. And oftentimes motivation comes from progress and we don't make progress unless we take action. So for me, I care more about your habits than I do, whether or not you feel motivated. And so what we know, and especially at the performance level is that you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training and your habits. And you and I sitting right here, right now, we are a product of our habits. Mm -hmm. Our weight is a product of our eating habits. Yeah. Our strength is a product of our, of our working out habits. Every, our finances are a product of our spending habits. And so my question is, what product do you want to come right. by spring training? Gotcha. Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? Yeah. Do you, and so when I asked that question, I said, what kind of player do you want to be? I want to be the kind of player that showed, that is the fittest on the field, that is mentally tough, that is this. Okay, great. If that's who you want to be, mm-hmm. what actions are you taking to support that identity? Right. That's interesting. Well, well, kind of along the same lines, I just thought about this while you were talking because you mentioned motivation being BS. One of the best mental skills coach I ever worked with it was at the 2004 Olympics, Phil Jaunty. Because I'll be honest with you, Lauren, there was, I worked with a lot that it was just buzzword after buzzword. And I'm like, dude, you've never played. Shut up. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to listen to this. Phil mm-hmm. Jaunty, he'd never played baseball in his life. But man, he had some stuff for me, which was so good. But one thing, um, and I got kind of caught up in this, but I kind of just rode that, that ship along the same kind of lines, manufacturing, right? So every, for me, I had to get results. And this is how you know, insecure I was as a player. I had to have some good results or someone just to swing and miss at a hanging curveball to say, oh, I'm good enough. Okay, I belong here. And everyone told me that was the worst thing to do. Like, and I, I want to hear your opinion on this. For me, the results sadly bred the confidence. 
I guess. And I was, I was lucky enough just to get enough to sort of start snowballing that. Everyone told me, no, no, you have to have that confidence um, to breed the results. So with that, how do you approach that? When, when you've got a kid who, who's, when you're talking about confidence and how they feel about themselves and, and how they, they picture themselves, and you mentioned that kind of play you want to be in spring training, how do you fix that if they're just not getting the results? Well, my question always when people are driven by results, which is a natural default setting of mm -hmm. the human mind, yeah. is what is your definition of result? What is your definition of a good result or what is your definition of success? That to me is most important because I'm okay if results fuel you, if the result that you're looking at is the correct definition. Gotcha. A lot of times we're looking at just the outcome of what we do. Yeah. Well, you know better than anybody else that you can do everything right and still get a poor result. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you also know that you can do everything wrong and still get a good result. Right. And so results are not always the result of good things. And bad results are not always the result of bad things. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, what equals that result to you? And so outcome, if outcome wasn't, if you could not use that, the outcome as a definition, I want to know what actions would you take that if you did A, B, and C every time you stepped up to the, to the plate or every time you're on the mound, that that equaled success. Right. That's what I care about because quality reps equals quality results. Right. And it's the quality that matters. And so when we have a player that is kind of in a slump or isn't feeling great, we have to shift their mind mm -hmm. from the outcome to the things within their control. Right. And that has to do with, if you do these things, that equals success. And over time, what we know is quality reps produces quality success. I think too, with that, and from a player's standpoint as well, I think trusting what you're doing. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of times too. And I'm, again, as, as we're talking, I'm just thinking back to the times, you know, it's been a while since I've pitched like competitively, <laughs> but you know, trusting, especially in an off season, when you're on your own, you're isolated, especially 2020, trusting that what I'm doing is productive or this is going to help me get to be that player I want to be in spring training. That, that trust factor. Speaking of that, I want to ask you this. Now you've been at this for, is this your fifth year or your fourth year? Fourth year. Fourth year with the Yankees. And obviously 2020 is a lot different to those other years. But going back, how do you, because I think the big thing, and this is coming from, you know, from being on the other side of, you know, the, the people you work with is, is the trust factor. Mm -hmm. How do you gain a player's trust or a client's trust to, so they can actually listen to you and take that in and trust what the information they're getting? Two things. You have to walk the walk. I mean, you can't, you can't just talk this stuff. Right. You have to do it. You have to be the example of it. I mean, there, it's like, it's like meeting with a dietitian who's insanely overweight and unhealthy. It's like, you look at them, you're like, what do you, where, how, why am I taking advice from you? Yeah. So if I'm not practicing the things that I preach, why would anybody trust me? Yeah. I wouldn't trust me. And so number one, I think that's the most important, but number two is it's showing up, being accountable and being consistent and not, I mean, for me, my relationship is number one. If I don't have a relationship with these players, nobody's going to tell me anything. Same with me. If I don't have a relationship with you, I'm not going to dive into things that I, that matter to me or that are personal to me. So I start there. And the best advice I was, I was ever given when I first started with the Yankees was let baseball come to you. Mm -hmm. Don't try and go and fix everybody. Like let yeah. them come to you. Right. And so I was just constantly around and I would just have conversations, like get to know them. Like you're telling me about your family. You know, tell me about your spouse or your significant other, or, you know, how did you get here? Where did you, where did you grow up? And yeah. so when you start to learn about somebody and you invest in somebody, a lot of times suddenly they feel like, oh, that person cares about me. Yeah. And I feel I can trust that person because they have my best interest in mind. And so that's one of the best things. One of the coolest things was that my first year it was, Hey, Lauren, we don't care if you meet with one player, just develop right, relationships. Okay. That was my only goal. And within three weeks, I already had players saying, Hey, can I meet with you? Right. And it was, they came to me because I had established some level of trust with them by getting to know them, putting them first, and also showing them and being an example of what I would want to teach them. Right. Was that nerve wracking that first year walking in trying to develop, develop relationships? Ooh, yeah. My actual, my very first session, this was a, this was one that was, um, 
I, I didn't present like the first several weeks of spring training. It wasn't until like the very end that I got to present. And of course, like when I get there, I'm like, put me in coach. Like I want to, yeah. <laughs> I want to present. Um, but they were like, Hey, let's, let's be strategic about this. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I, I trusted them. So my first session terrified. I'm like, I'm absolutely terrified. Cause I want the, 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 this is the pres presentation and you talking and let, let me just sort of paint yeah. the picture here. You're talking, is this like kind of early in the morning? Um, for these players when they grow because I remember, I remember those sessions. I remember that like someone would come in and talk to you and you're kind of half asleep. You, you, your legs are tired from spring training. Was it at that kind of session or was it afternoon? Give me, it was afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. It was afternoon. Yes. Thank goodness. Um, and it, um, again, nobody had seen me present and people yeah. would ask, which is good as they were asking like, Hey, why aren't you presenting? So it kind of created some interest around like, what does she have to say? Yeah. And on the whiteboard, I wrote down every negative thing I heard getting to the Yankees. And I had two whiteboards filled with things. And so guys, they walked in and they just started reading these whiteboards. And it was like, oh, well, you've never played baseball. What makes you think that you're going to be able to coach at this level? What so, so, get, so what were some of the things on the, on the whiteboard? One, that was one of them. Another yeah. one was, okay, but you're a girl. Why yeah. would any man listen to you? Yeah. Um, but you don't have a PhD. What the hell makes you think you'll be successful with that one? Right. Um, you didn't even play softball. What makes you qualified to talk about baseball? Uh -huh. And so I had an entire like laundry list of, of items that people had said to me. And I kind of walked in and I said, look, you know, some of these are accurate. You know, I, I've never played mm -hmm. baseball. I didn't even play softball. I actually broke my nose trying to catch softball when I was like eight. <laughs> like, it's ironic that I'm even in this room. Yeah. But I said, I'm not here to, to coach you about how to, how to catch a ball or how, yeah. to, how to pitch or how to mm -hmm. swing a bat. I'm here to coach you on how to master your mind. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I mean, I, I'll never know what it's like to stand on the mound, but I know what the hell it's like to be in a moment when it matters and to step up for your team. Right. And so it was being able to translate my experiences mm -hmm. to how they were feeling in specific moments. And even if I didn't fully understand, I can understand my mastery is not in what it feels like to be a baseball player. Yeah. My mastery is how our mind works under pressure in performance and how to, in, how to impact our ability to perform through our mind. Is that, that must, that's a huge mistake, isn't it? And I'm telling you, like, I'm so answering this question when, when I've got someone trying to tell me how the last five seconds before I'm supposed to throw a pitch, oh, this is how you should be feeling. Or this is straight away. I'm just like, look, I'm sorry. And, and that's just not, this is not going to work, you know? So yeah. it's, I, I, I got to give it to you. That's a great strategy, putting it all out there on the board straight away. Just well, and I was that. the, myself and one other woman we were the first women in yeah. player development right. total and so yeah. it was it they didn't know what the hell to do with me they were like can i say the f word can i do right. this and yeah and you right. know it, it was more so they didn't know what to do with me so i wanted to i wanted to kind of unbox and unarmor everybody and go like look yeah. i i am entering your world and this is this is what it's like for me and I, I don't expect different treatment. You can, you can throw F-bombs as much as you'd like. You can be yourself and also know that I'm not coming in here to tell you what to do. I'm here to support you. Yeah, right. And I'm here to help improve you in any way that we see fit. But I can't do that alone. I have to do that as you. It's like a partnership. It's yeah. you're, you're, you're explaining and you're telling me the, as the master of your craft. Mm -hmm. And I am coming in as the master of mine. And what we're doing is we're creating a, a plan that works best for you. And that can't happen with one person. Yeah. Do you feel like you nailed it, that first presentation? Felt pretty good about it. Of course, yeah. there's always things that I could go back and change. Um, but I felt good about at least the direction I went with to begin. Right. I feel like too, and, and you know, listening to, to doing my research on you, you're at a Starbucks basically driving through the drive-thru and, and someone basically said, you know, performance psychology, what are you going to do with that degree? I feel like you, and I want to dive into this just for, for a second, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, are you one of these people that, are you fueled by naysayers or feel like you, you are fueled by proving people wrong? To some degree, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, when people tell me I can't do something, my immediate response is, who says? Right. Like, how can you, who has never done what I do, what yeah. I can do, 
tell me what I can't do. Like, how, how is that? How does that even make sense? That like, yeah. you're, you're doing something totally different and you're telling me I can't do it. Yeah. So yeah, there's, I have never understood that when mm. people say you can or cannot yeah. do something, I don't think it's anyone else's decision. And um, so, yeah, I'd say I definitely um, is something that I'm, I'm fueled by it. It actually helps. And so I, I'm sure you heard the Starbucks story, but I'm thankful for the guy that told me. Well, do you want you to tell it actually? Cause people are probably sitting there going, what's the Starbucks story? Yeah. So I, I worked at Starbucks <laughs> and um, I was sitting at, at the time I had had two job offers straight out of my master's degree fall through. And mm. so I, I used all of my network connections and there was just nothing available. They weren't hiring people straight out of grad school at the time. So I realized I needed to make money somehow. So I got a job at Starbucks and I'm working the drive through this one day and this guy drives through and um, kind of spark up a conversation as his coffee is being made. And he said, um, you know, are you going to school? And I was like, yeah, I am. And or I just, I just finished. And he yeah. goes, great. What did you get your degree in? I said performance psychology. And he just starts laughing at me. And I was- That was me by the way. No, I'm joking. I'm just kidding. No, I was like, I, I was like something on my face, like what's happening? But I was so confused yeah. that I finally had to ask him. I was like, what, what's so funny? And he just goes, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. And I was so upset. And it wasn't until later that I realized why. Mm-hmm. I was not upset because he was rude, even though he was, but I was upset because he was right. Right. That here I am wanting to go in and give advice to people on how to keep going when times are tough, how to, tur- how to push yeah. through adversity, how to become the best versions of themselves. And I wasn't taking my own advice. Right. And so how the hell am I going to be a good mental coach if I can't even do the things that I would tell somebody else to do? And so that was the exact day that I Googled how to start your own consulting company. And I created my own consulting company. And a year later, I got the opportunity with the Yankees. Now, Lauren, that's you, right? And that, that's obviously your personality, but let's, let's do a little sliding doors moment. Basically, what, what would you tell, how old were you at, at the time? 23, 22? No, actually, I think I was 25 or 26. Okay, 25, 26. Lauren's standing in that uh, Starbucks window, the drive-through. What, what drink did he order, by the way? I can't remember. I think I said that. <laughs> I'm telling you how vivid this was. But what do you tell the, the version, and there's a lot of young girls out there or young people, you know, the, the version of Lauren that walks away from that and says, oh yeah, he's right. I'm going to try and do something else. Or I don't believe in, in this, or this is what I'm doing is a complete bullshit or this degree is not going to, what, 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 how do you coach that version, that girl who does that? The complete opposite to what you did basically, which is 70% of people. That's what, that's what they do. Right. Right. They, well, I think that it, it starts with the story that you tell yourself. Because the one thing that, and bear with me on this one, but the world doesn't come with meaning. Okay. That's the beauty that humans bring to this world. Okay. So that guy's saying, oh, you got a, you got a degree that you'll never use. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean anything until I attach meaning to it. Right. All he said were those words and those words I created meaning from somebody, you know, walking by and not waving to you we could interpret as, oh, that person hates me or they're mad at me. Or we could also interpret the thought that, oh, they, they were looking beyond me and they didn't actually see me wave to them. And so I think that the, the meaning is so important and it's often, it's our responsibility. And I think that when we put responsibility on other people, that's the, the moment we start using blame, the moment we start playing victim and, the, and all those moments. And here's the thing, when you play the victim card, you're playing from a place of fear. Mm. When you are in an attack mode, I guess you could say, or yeah. you're playing the opposite of victim, you are now playing from a place of power. And yeah. I don't ever want to be in a position where somebody else dictates my life because the only person that can truly dictate it is me. I can't give any, any no one can make me upset unless I give them permission to do so. Right. That guy didn't have to make me upset. I gave him permission. Yeah, right. And when I dug deeper, I realized why, because I wasn't willing to look in the damn mirror myself. And guess what? That guy shined it real, real bright on one of my blind spots and I didn't like it. But that to me is that is hundred percent within our control. And so we can choose to be defined by what others say or by our limitations, or we can choose 
to act differently because five minutes from now, guess what? Has never been lived before. Yeah, right. You can choose to show up and be whoever you want. That could be, you could be different than you have been. You can be, you can consistently be the same. You can show up any way that you want. And I think that is what has got me through a lot of difficult times, especially mistakes, is that mm. mistakes or being in a position that you don't like. Well, the good news is, is that if you want to change your present or if you want to change your future, you have to change your present. Mm. If you want to change from the past, you have to change your present. And guess what? If you want to change your present, you got to change your present. Everything we do happens in the present moment. And so I realized if I didn't like where I was, I had to do something presently to change it. And so that's exactly what I did. Does that come from the way you were brought up or is that something that you learned those years before becoming a performance psychologist? Like, because you basically, I mean, not everyone has the ability to obviously give that response or treat it that way. I'm the worst, man. Like if someone doesn't wave at me or tells me something and I'm like, and yeah, you just hit a nerve with me. I'm like, yeah, because there's something, the truth hurts, really. The truth does hurt and it crushes you. But is that something that you've had your whole life or, or is that just flat out from what you were coming off a degree from? Uh, honestly, I've had a little bit of that my whole life. Um, and I credit that to my mom, who's just incredible. She was the example of this. My parents got divorced when I was 10. Yeah. And um, my mom is it had to go back to work after not working for 10 years. Yeah. And my dad stopped paying child support. And so she was supporting two kids working on right. her own. And she just, she just showed, and she, she, she never spoke poorly of my dad. She always just like, just took this, she chose differently than most would choose. And yeah. I think that was always inspiring to me. And then I think where a lot of this turned for me was when I was 15, my best friend committed suicide. Oh, wow. And I fell into that deep hole mm -hmm. of, I was suicidal myself. I went as far as writing letters to people. I mean, I was, I was going to commit suicide. Oh, wow. And I think it was that experience of having to fight to live, having to fight to get through the pain mm -hmm. and having to make the choice to wake up every day when it was painful and to move mm -hmm. and to take action, knowing that it wasn't necessarily going to solve it that day, but knowing that if I, if, I, if I were to show up every day and I did the work, I saw a clinical psychologist, I did the work and I was consistent, yeah. that the experts are telling me that I will, I will recover and I will be better as a result of it. And so I trusted the process and I stuck with the process. And trust me, I had a lot of downfalls in the middle of this process, but I just kept showing up and I kept showing up. And I'm not kidding you, probably about two years, took about two years till I felt like myself again. And I always go back and I remember, I can do really difficult things. That things that are difficult, that's fine. Like, you know, we can, difficult sucks. Difficult is hard. Difficult hurts. Difficult is painful. But we can do those things. I mean, I've gotten through those things. And so I knew that that experience was something I can recall when I'm going through anything difficult, yeah. I'm like, I survived that. Yeah, right. And I think that sometimes our wins and surviving these difficult things are exactly what pushes us through when we face anything else that's difficult. Wow. So it was, you've had a lot of things that etched into that hard drive to get you to basically where you are right now, right? I mean, it's funny. Like I talk to guys about, you know, you know, professional athletes or whatever, talking about adversity, dealing with that adversity and, and understand, like basically reaching down into that grabbing that adversity from something that happened. And especially, man, it's, it's crazy. Some things that happen when you're a teenager. I mean, teenagers have it hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, like, especially now with like social media, I'm like, how do you, I would struggle. You imagine? <laughs> you imagine? Like you, you're, you're really active on Instagram and you, you know, you do these cool videos and everything else. And, and uh, I'll make sure people go obviously check that out who are listening to this. Cause it's awesome. I, I follow Thanks. it. It's, that's great. But it's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to that. These kids now, they have, that's like, they all have to brand themselves. I don't know how they do it. And then the rejection or someone doesn't like it. And you think it's so trivial, but man, it cuts deep, especially when you're 13, 15 years old. Oh, it cuts deep being 30. Like I yeah. couldn't imagine <laughs> being 13. Yeah, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, I, I, I could not agree more. And yeah. I think that 
the thing that we should be training ourselves to do better is our response. I really truly believe that mental toughness, if we really boil it down, um, it's controlling the things we can control and surrendering to the things that we can't. And I think a lot of that has to do with our response because our reality, a lot of times it's, it's just our reality and you can like it or you can hate it. A lot of times I don't like my reality, but I can choose how I respond. And the important thing is it's impossible to to live a life without uncomfortable moments, without, um, without failure, without adversity. It's just impossible to live a life without those things. So the point is not to eliminate those, but to train our response and how we manage those. Because a lot of times the difference between somebody who's really successful and somebody who really struggles Mm -hmm. is not the adversity itself, but our response to it. Right. You, and especially dealing with this and just back to the player, I just want to go back to the players you've been dealing with these minor league guys. Yeah. Are you talking to these guys besides the, Oh, Hey, you know, the, the typical day to day, um, this is what you should think pregame, any of that kind of stuff as an athlete. Are you, you must've dealt with some, some kids who are dealing with de- like depression, even the professional athletes, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, and I, I don't, I should, I should uh, preface this with, I'm not a clinical psychologist. Yeah. So whenever we find that somebody is like um, experiencing symptoms of depression or anything mm-hmm. that's clinical in nature, we refer out to some yeah. incredible clinicians that we partner gotcha. with. But, um, but yes, we are the first line of defense. And, um, it is, it's pretty incredible to see how much more people are willing to come forward Mm. instead of suffering in silence. And to me, that's powerful because I think so many people, especially in the sports world recently have, they've come out and been willing to discuss their struggles. And in one particular example, I was sitting at, I was sitting in the cafeteria with a bunch of our players and, uh, we had the TV on and Kevin Love came on the screen. And he started talking about his performance anxiety and some depression he had experienced. And about, you know, a couple hours later, one of the same players I was sitting with walked in my office and he goes, I wasn't planning on telling you this, but um, I watched Kevin Love and I feel like, uh, I feel a little bit more comfortable sharing it that I'm not the only one. Right. That's amazing. You know, I I had a teammate, I got to the big leagues and I was, I, you know, the day I had to pitch, I couldn't eat. Like I couldn't sleep the night before. You know, I had to put on, I'll never forget. I was in playing against the Yankees and I was struggling at this point too. And this is a couple of years into my career and I just could not sleep. Like, and I'm like just freaking out in this hotel room. I got to pitch a day game the next day and I'm sucking the last couple of outings I had was just terrible. Couldn't sleep. And so I just put on, you know, I just grabbed some, med- some meditation and then like a Tony Robbins clip and all this, just trying to find something. Yeah. And the next day I get to the field and, um, and I just, I couldn't eat breakfast and Cliff Lee, I don't know if you remember him. I mean, Cy Young Award winner, whatever. Completely different personality to me. They kept trying to put him like to to mentor me because you know, left-handed pitcher, whatever, starting pitcher, were completely different personalities. He's like, why, why do you get nervous? Like, you can just throw strikes. And it wasn't until I came across a teammate who said, "Man, yeah, I, I'm shit myself before a game. I can't eat." I was like, "Oh, that's nice. Like, it's just nice to hear that. that yeah. To hear that it happens to other people. You know." Yeah. It is, it, and that's, and that I think is so important, which I think is finally happening, yeah. is all of this discomfort that people are feeling, we're normalizing it. And the mm-hmm. point is not that it's, it's not bad, but I think the important thing is that instead of it deemed as bad, is that yeah. we just need to learn to manage it. And the more, the better that we manage it, the better that it becomes. And so I had a player come to me the other day and he goes, Lauren, how do I eliminate distractions? And I was like, you're asking the wrong question. It's not, how do I eliminate distractions, but how do I bounce back when I become distracted? Cause you're not going to entirely yeah. eliminate them. And so I think that's what we need to look at is nervousness is not a bad thing. There's so much good that comes yeah. from being nervous, but it's, it's that old adage that they say is like, Hey, it's not, we don't want to get rid of the butterflies. We will just want to get them to flying formation. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, yeah, don't get nervous, don't get nervous. But then once I just started embracing it, embracing that, just feeling sick, embracing I can't eat, you know, I'm not going to have energy, whatever, who cares, you know. Um, just on that, when you talk about some of these players, do you ever see some, especially obviously 2019 was different, 2020 where you're around players more. Can you sense or see something that the player's not going to approach you, but you know, working with him that, man, he needs some friggin' help. 
because number one, for his own sake, you know, not saying that he's he's going to get to the point where he's going to do something you know bad to himself, physically harm himself, but even from an organization standpoint, where they're like, hey man, this kid's a really he's a stud. He's completely you know limiting himself mentally. But can you see patterns? And then you know, I know you you want them to come to you, but do you ever see something and just try and you know stoke the fire a little bit to to get them talking? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Part of our role is not only to support, you know, when they come to us, but also to challenge. Yeah. And, um, I don't think, I think we'd be doing our players a disservice if we just sat back and waited for them yeah. to come to us. Sometimes. Right. And now granted, I always make sure that the player knows it's hundred percent their decision. So if I come to you and I challenge you and I go, Hey, like, talk to me about that. Like, how'd you feel out there? And yeah. you don't want anything to do with it you have that right. right. And I'm not going to be upset with you for it. So I think that knowing that and typically, especially if you have a good relationship with it, of course, I'm going to challenge them. Yeah. And I ask them, like, are you cool if I challenge you sometimes? Um, because sometimes even myself, we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. And so there are people that can see things that sometimes we can't. And yeah. I've never had a player say no to that or yeah. be upset with me because I challenge them. So I think it's, you have to know the player first, but Heck yeah, that happens all the time. I mean, yeah. 90 or, or not 90, but probably about 50% of our job is observing and it's being able to, to watch. And I, I watch baseball totally different because I don't, I mean, yes, results are great, but I'm not paying attention to the results. I'm paying attention to the patterns. I'm paying attention to our yeah. body language because guess what? No one can, no one can read your mind, but we can read your body language. And yeah. so I can, I can tell a lot from our players through their body language, especially at some of the younger, um, some of our, our throughout our minor leagues and so i'm doing a lot of pattern recognition especially the better you know the player the easier that pattern recognition becomes yeah. because if you're not aware of that like for instance we have a pitcher who works really fast mm -hmm. and when he slows down he uh, becomes awful <laughs> yeah and so it, it's typical in sports psychology to be like hey let's slow down let's be in control but if you didn't know that player, you could be giving him totally wrong advice. Yeah. And so I think that's the piece that's really important to know. I, I, I wanted to ask you that actually, and I'm glad you brought that up. So is that something, do you teach body language to these guys or say, hey, look, like, you know, one thing, I, I guess it helps for me too, especially, you know, from broadcast, I was, you know, I get super nervous broadcasting. I'm like, who the hell's going to listen to me? It's just that insecurity, that imposter syndrome I have that's like, no one's going to listen to me about hitting, you know? But all of a sudden, if I change my posture a little bit, you know, raise my voice. Do you guys coach that or teach that at all? Oh yeah. Because your, your presence matters mm -hmm. um, because you don't have to feel confident to look confident. Right. You don't have to feel ready to be ready. And so there's this, sometimes there's this idea that uh, I have to be confident to walk with confidence. No, yeah. Yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. And when I walk, when I see you out there, you, you know, being a pitcher that like that, if a, if a hitter walks up really confident, then there's a difference. Absolutely. And I know from our hitters, when they're up at the plate and there's a pitcher up there that is standing tall and confident, there's a whole difference than somebody that's like has their head hung low and their yeah. shoulders rounded in and they're, you know, making a gestures that they're just, you know, pissed off or frustrated or nervous. That can be an advantage. Mm -hmm. And also what we know is body language changes our biology. Right. So when we stand a certain way, when we hold ourselves in a certain way, our biology shifts and it changes to create a biology of confidence. So even if you're not feeling it, hold yourself with confidence because if you do that for two minutes, that we actually create a different biology, different hormones are released and it actually helps us perform. You know, it's so funny about that. I had one of the best mental skills sessions I had was with a teammate of mine, Mike Sweeney, who played 15 years in, in five-time All-Star. And he kept talking to me. He's like, hey, you know, stick your chest out a little bit, this and that. Like, he's talking about body language. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. I sort of, I'm one foot in, one foot out. Because it's way easier said than done. You just mentioned yeah. all that stuff for two minutes. It's frigging hard when you're struggling. But then he took me into the video room and he showed me. And usually in the video room, you have the pitch and it cuts to the very next pitch. That saves time. You don't see the, the 12, 12 to 15 seconds in between. And he's like, I want you to watch this. I'm like, I hate watching myself to begin with. And I'm watching myself like, oh, geez. I'm <laughs> like, chin down, just completely def deflated. And he's like, does that look like, do you, do you feel like that dude's going to perform well? Like, do you like watching that? I was like, no, I don't. And literally for that five to 10 minutes, I was like, holy shit, he's onto something. And from there, I just dove right into the whole having that presence. Even if I give up a five spot, having sticking that chest out or raising that voice or having that little alpha, you know, mm -hmm. feeling. But it, it's amazing. It is so, it's a lot easier said than done. I will say that, especially when, you when you're when competing, that's for sure. 
Right. But you're, you're right. And we do the same thing. I'll like run up to our video guys and be like, don't cut that one. Can yeah. you keep the whole yeah. thing? Because I want, I want to show yeah. him what he looks like. I, I could not agree more. And it's a, it's a great tool that it's, if you can, it, videoing yourself is one of the best things to do because while you think you're doing the right thing, then they're like, oh crap, I look like that? Ooh, yeah. I, that didn't look good. Yeah. And I didn't like that presence. And so I think that, you know, body language can be such an important thing yeah. because while our thoughts can have an effect on our body, our body can also have effect on our thoughts. And so right. it, it's not just a one way. It, it, can, it can act in many different ways and we can act independently from how we feel. And so that's, I think, a gift that, um, that allows us to still hold ourselves high, even if we're not feeling that. Now, before we got on, I, we talked a little bit, and I wanted to save some of this. I had Daniel Bart on the show, and I got a, real, a, a ton of really good feedback from, from players and from people who you know, never picked up a baseball in their life. And what he went through, now, Daniel Bart, if you don't know, if you haven't listened, basically, he was the dude with the Red Sox. I mean, he was about, when Papelbon was about to leave, he was going to be the closer, and everyone loved him, and he was whatever. And then he all of a sudden got the yips, which basically, throw, he can't throw a ball straight. Now, I, I want to kind of put you on the spot here because this is kind of your, you know, your realm. You, you mentioned before we got on, you've dealt with one player who had the yips, right? Talk us through. Now, if you could have a kid comes in to your office, says, hey, man, I don't know where the frigging ball's going or I can't pick off the first base. What's, your number one, what's the number one thing you start with? And, I know, and, and you mentioned it too. I know I'm, I'm putting the pressure on here. You mentioned it. There's no clear-cut way of doing it. But what's your number one way of, of dealing with that, that client player to, to, to really start off this, trying to get him back to, to where, where he wants to be? Well, I think the foundation of all mental skills is awareness. And so I would like to get a general idea of where, if, if, if they know what's happening and what their what their take is on their situation mm -hmm. so hey what are you thinking when this happens what is that situation like for you how is your body feeling um, i want to see like how is their awareness surrounding it and if we can identify any patterns because it's often patterns of behaviors can tell us a lot about um, a situation and so i would always i always start there yeah. because it gives me a really really good idea of their baseline mm -hmm. and then we can work off of that and like I kind of said to you prior is that I believe that the yips is kind of like a misplaced focus. And, um, a lot of times it's in the, it's in fear. It's like fear based of, yeah. Oh my God, I'm afraid of messing up or I'm yeah. focusing so much on the end result that I'm not focusing on what I should be doing right now. Right. And again, that's a very simple, uh, simple version of what people are experiencing. It's a lot more complicated than that, yeah. but um, that's probably where I would begin. Right. And you mentioned too earlier and, when you have someone who's you know, dealing with depression or some sort of trauma they dealt with as a teenager. So one thing Daniel Bard mentioned that he had to really, there was no quick, it wasn't a band aid fix. He had to, and he took him seven years, but he said it would have been a lot faster if I just slowed down and, 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 you know, dove into some of this stuff that I dealt with years ago. What kind of like, where's the line there for you? You mentioned like, you know, having a, you know, a, clinical psych psychiatrist psychologist whatever, whatever i don't even know what it's called clinical psycho, whatever. <laughs> clinical psychologist psychologist thank you what's the line for you though where as far as you can go when you if you do want to unravel something that they might be dealing with that's causing this little glitch that's going on with with the yips for example well there's i mean definitely anything that gets into the clinical realm so any like past yeah. trauma right. or um you know anything you know family related i mean we we can talk about family stuff but the second it becomes like a clinical issue that's yeah. when i need to pass it over or that's when we just become good partners like the cool thing is we can work in partnership with somebody and if we know uh -huh. that there is something like a like a past trauma or a past yeah. or a struggle in your personal life or anything like that that can have a really big impact because if we're not dealing with that, it can be expressed in other ways. And so it's, you know, it's kind of like when you're, when you're pissed off at somebody and, but it's not resolved yeah. and you walk into a room with a bunch of people, it's like, you can feel the tension. Yeah. That energy still resides if we're not expressing it and getting out and getting it out and working through it in some capacity. And so a lot of times when it comes to trauma, if we just shove it down mm -hmm. it can come out in various ways and sometimes it can come out in even mistakes in, in sports right. and so it's it's an interesting thing but uh but that's why i think the yips is is one of those situations where it's there's no clear path it's not clear cut and defined every person's a little bit different and yeah. um in this case was no different okay I, I'll, i'm gonna let you go here in a second i know you got to get out of here i want to ask you one this is an even tougher question all right because right. people ask me Bring all on. the time people <laughs> ask me all the time 
getting to the big leagues is really hard. Staying there is tough. Everyone says that, whatever. People ask me, people ask me, how come, and I've seen it a bunch, absolute stud in double A, triple A. Why did he not get to the big league? Sometimes I ask that myself. I'm like, he's a good dude. But for you, what's the separator? When you see kids, and you've, you've, you're now four years into this, so you've kind of seen the cycle. The kid gets drafted, and then he make it, makes it to the big leagues, and some kids don't. That's just the reality, right? A lot of, most of the kids don't. What's the separator of the guys who get there, stay there, have success, to the guys who just don't? When, because talent, look, there's so much talent in double H. They're all talented. But what, yeah. what do you think the separator is? It's a really good question because there's, I think, a few things. But I think one thing that stands out to me is their ability to stick with it for the long term. Right. I think sometimes it gets so uncomfortable or they're, they're just like, ah, you know, I see the writing on the wall. It's like, and they, and they give up before, you know, the magic happens or before they get an opportunity. And um, I think that there's, there's something to say for people that have been in the minor league system for like five, six, seven, yeah. eight years, yeah. and then they make it and they have an incredible career. So right. I'd say that's one thing, but I also think the other thing is being able to manage difficult. Um, right. It's managing, well, I, I should say both sides, managing difficult and managing success. Um, I talk about a lot bouncing back from success because we always talk about this bounce back from adversity, bounce back from failure, but success can be equally detrimental because we think I got it. I'm good. I don't need to work any harder. So I think that those two things can become big factors in getting in the way of our ability to perform well. And like I said, one of them being your ability to manage pressure, everybody, everybody at the AAA level pretty much like you can make it. <laughs> You're good enough yeah. for the most part, right? Yeah. You're good enough to play in the big leagues. Um, but a big differentiator is, can you do that in the big leagues? Yeah. Right. You know, triple A is one thing and don't get me wrong. It's hard. It's getting there as an accomplishment in itself, but it's different at the next level. Can you handle adversity? Can you handle that under pressure? Can you perform when it matters most? And I think that has to do with the mental side. Have you had guys that you worked with year one, year two, you've seen go on to the big leagues and they've had, and they've said, Hey, thank you so much. You know, you had much of that. Um, well, it's starting to, yeah. so it's getting to that point now where all of the guys yeah. I've worked with are like, kind of, they're on the cusp where they got their, yeah. their, uh, their shot this year. Um, and got to watch that, which was pretty awesome. So yeah, it's, there. it's, it's, I think for any person that works in baseball as a staff member, yeah. There's nothing more fulfilling than watching these people, these, these men live out their dream. Yeah. I mean that there's nothing and there's nothing cooler to see than when they, when they make it and you see all that hard work and you saw them struggle and you saw them when they got drafted all the way to when they got there. And that, that's pretty awesome to see. And I think it's a, it's a, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I still have a whole page of stuff. So maybe you can come back on at some point, but I know you have to go. But Lauren, this has been awesome. I, I, thank you so much. And, and I've, I've learned a lot. I'm, I'm motivated now. Your favorite word, motivated. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was awesome, Lauren. Thank you so much for, for, uh, for joining me. And uh, hopefully I can get you on again. Oh, I'd love to. Thanks, thanks again for having me. No worries. How are we doing, team? Hope you enjoyed that episode with Lauren Nicole Johnson. Man, that was awesome. you got to follow her on Instagram or Twitter at Lauren Nicole Johnson. She's a great follower. A lot of good posts, a lot of wisdom, a lot of good stuff. Remember to, while you're at it, go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, www.thetopstep.com. Leave me a review. Go follow me on Instagram at hyphen18. We will see you next week. Another great episode. Have a good one, guys. We'll see you soon.